It's very difficult at times. You might be amongst your friends or your family and you don't totally agree with what they're saying. I think you should say it. This is Not What You Think. I'm Sasha Rosen. Even in the current political climate, few people would still be willing to identify as racist. But you can still find plenty of pockets of prejudice waiting to bubble up around Sydney, in kind of lower-key places. Even sometimes among groups of people you'd expect to know better. Groups that have themselves been victims of racism. Nurala and Yvonne Perchuk noticed exactly that, and they're part of a Sydney writers' group called Abe's Babes. They wrote a play called The Laden Table about exactly this kind of dinner table racism. Noor, Yvonne, thanks for coming in. Pleasure. Yvonne, what does dinner table racism sound like? It's very distressing to hear and very surprising to hear. It's something that happens around a table where people say what they really mean because it's usually a family and very close friends. And a dinner table tends to be the heart of your social circle. It's where people say things that are not necessarily PC, which they wouldn't say anywhere else. So the play is called The Laden Table, and the whole play started around a dinner table where I was sitting with friends and family. And the discussion was, of course, about the situation in the Middle East. And one of my friends said something to the effect that all Muslims this and all Muslims that and can't be trusted and that kind of thing and various other things that I'm actually not going to mention today. And they occur in the play, so if you come and watch the play, you'll hear exactly what was said. And no one else at the table disagreed. In fact, there was a lot of nodding of heads and a couple of people agreed. And just to be clear... What would you have expected their opinions to be before they opened their mouth on this subject? Well, these friends are educated. They're liberal-minded on most topics that I know about, so I would never have expected to hear that from them. wasn't really sure how to react because it was clear that most of the people at the table were of one opinion, and I shook my head, but I didn't really say anything strong at the time, and that's why I felt quite guilty afterwards But I had felt really that if I had started saying how I feel about it, there would have been a long argument at the table, and I didn't really think that was the most productive way to go about it. So I had to think of other ways to address this. And I think what upset me most is that a lot of the people around that table, their parents had been part of the Holocaust, had suffered that kind of prejudice, and had suffered the idea of being all Jews of this and all Jews of that, and yet here they were, the next generation, making similar generalisations. So I was pretty stunned by that, and that's what really got the whole thing going. When I met Noor, we discovered that the same thing happens at the Muslim dinner table. So just to be clear, you're from a Jewish background, Noor, you're from a Muslim background? Yep, yep. Finding out that the same thing happened at the Muslim table meant this was something that we could collaborate on and see if we could make some difference at this dinner table. I certainly knew at the time that I can't make any difference to the politics, I can't make any difference to national, the way things work nationally or globally, but if I can change things that happen at a dinner table even a little, that would be worthwhile. That was the start of the whole project, and then I was lucky enough to meet Noor. Noor? Had you encountered this similar dinner table racism? Um, I come from a religious family, but quite secular. So we mix with a lot of different people from different backgrounds. But there are occasions where people make comments like, oh, 
this so-and-so is Jewish, and then everyone rolls their eyes because there's a stereotype of what they think a Jew is or that there's some stereotype feelings about what Jewish people are. That is part of the racism, and people won't express that in a mixed community. Young people wouldn't necessarily think about that, but somehow or another in homes and stuff, people are likely to say things that would not be acceptable anywhere else. And then no one says anything. You know, everyone just rolls their eyes or moves along. You've had the same experience as Yvonne, where you just kind of sat there not quite knowing what to say? No, usually I'm a bit more outspoken. <laughs> so, but I always butt in. And I've been known to lose people like that because I've said, well, that's not right. Prejudice exists in every community. However, there are occasions where there's no opportunity for you to say anything and then you walk away and you think this is not right. So hence my involvement with the project. The issue in the Middle East is, uh, and the Muslim world is still suffering from a lot of issues and so are the Palestinian and Israelis, especially. I mean, I would not like to live in an area where I think I'm going to be bombed any minute now and every time I walk out, I say goodbye to my family because that could be the last thing. Because we have lots of history about the Muslim and the Jewish and the Christian people living together in great harmony. And uh, some of the communities still continue to do that, despite what's going on around them, you know. Very briefly, could I get you to tell me how the play came together? It was just a little idea to begin with. And then I got together with a few people that I knew. We didn't really know how to express our frustration with this kind of prejudice. And then I decided really the play is the way to do it because I don't want to be wagging my finger at people because I don't think that's very productive. Have you tried that in the past? I have. At a subsequent dinner table, I have tried to do that. And you either get a cold reaction with nobody responding or you get little explosions. It just means that people feel attacked. And going on the web, trying to find a wonderful Muslim person to come on board to co-facilitate with me because I didn't feel as if it should be just a one-sided approach to this and I really wanted to hear how things are on the other side. And so after a long search, I found Noor, who agreed to come on board, which was wonderful. And our idea was, really, that it wasn't just going to be watching the play that was going to make a difference, it was writing the play with Muslim and Jewish people. So the play is really both families, a Muslim family and a Jewish family, sitting at a dinner table celebrating a feast day. For the Jews it was Yom Kippur after the fast, and for the Muslim group it was the Eid dinner. And the interesting thing, I think, was that both families were actually sitting at the same table celebrating their special day but they're totally unaware of one another and what we see there the family dynamics the prejudice coming out echoes between one family and another so we can actually see that both communities have a lot in common as well as a lot of really confronting differences finding Noor was the key and through Noor, we met a lot of other people in the Muslim community, and that's how we formed those workshops. But the original five of us, called Abe's Babes, we were the ones who wrote the main draft of the play. I was asked 
several times before and I was very, very busy with other things and I wasn't really interested. But in the third time, my friend came back and said, look, we can't really find anyone and you're a writer and you mix with a lot of people and you would be very good at this. So we decided to meet Yvonne just to start off with and see whether I liked her enough and I was encouraged by my dad. It wasn't just the process of writing the play. What appealed significantly to me was being able to work with other individuals from different backgrounds. Just writing by yourself is difficult enough. And writing by committee is basically what we were doing. Fortunately, in our play, the journey of the play was not about the play itself as an end product. The journey was for a group of people to actually meet and sit and share. Nora and I co-facilitated, but there were three others very much involved. Raya Gandir, who was actually born in Israel and served in the army. Chris Hill, she's the Christian one in our group, and she told us that there are similar issues between Christian groups and prejudice there, and Marion Kernahan and Ruth Kleiman. So all those people were very much involved. We were, all of us, the apes, babes, writing it all together. The reason we called Apes Babes is that they're Jewish and Muslim and Christian persons working in that group. So we are all children of Abraham, the prophet. And then it moved on from there into workshops. And each time we had to change things, each time we found out things that we didn't know before about the other community, it was an evolution, really, the play, a long 10-year, really, or nine-year evolution. Ultimately, the play contains most of the words that were spoken by individuals or the stories are real. Some of the things that started off Yvonne's play you know, and the words that were spoken at the dinner table are words that are spoken at our dinner table in one instance. And there were examples of what people might have said, Muslim people, older people might have said about Jewish people. It comes out in the play, and it's from real experiences. In the Muslim dispossessed family, who are secular Australians, there's real experiences. For listeners who might not understand why a Palestinian family would be displaced all that time ago, could you really briefly just say why they would be in Australia and not, not in Palestine? I don't know whether you're aware. In 1948, there was a decision to create a state of Israel and give individuals land, and some of the land was actually where for centuries Muslims and Christians and Jewish people have lived side by side, and suddenly the Muslims were dispossessed of their homes. There were towns that were bulldozed, and a lot of people just escaped with the clothes that they were wearing, or quite a few of them had house keys, thinking that they would be going back. And politically, things didn't work out. There are some Palestinians that went back to their homes. A lot of them ended up in Jordan or Lebanon, the surrounding states, and eventually some of them came out to Australia to start a better life like everybody comes out. This is known as, as the Nakba. The Nakba. I can't remember at the moment what the translation of that word is. I think it's catastrophe. Yes, so it was a catastrophe for them. And part of the issues in Israel in Palestine now and in the Muslim world, the struggles dates back to what happened in 1948. And this, the foundation of the state of Israel alongside this, the Holocaust, these are really difficult things for Muslims and Jews to, to talk about generally here in Sydney. 
did you find that it got any easier as you were workshopping the play? Maybe easy is the wrong word. Did you find that that happened more often as you started putting together the play? Well, the play itself actually talks about the Nakba and the Holocaust or the effects of the individuals. It never is easy to talk about issues like that because there were so many lives lost and, and so many lives changed. I always feel very saddened. Yes, Holocaust was a terrible thing, but I guess it became very real to me when I met Yvonne and some of the other Jewish people because they had actually lost family. I'm not Palestinian, but I do have Palestinian friends, and to me it was a disaster. However, when you put faces, you know, to what happened... It is never very comfortable because when you talk about Nakba or the Holocaust, it might be a terminology in history books, but you are actually talking about people and their families. So I don't think it ever gets comfortable to deal with it. Prior to the beginning of this project, I had never heard the word Nakba, I'm sad to say. So that was quite a revelation to me. And the man, his name is actually Abe, whose family was dispossessed. We told his story and I was really moved by that because as Noor is saying, it's very easy to read in the newspaper a lot of statistics when you actually meet the person and you look in their eyes and you see what they've lost. That is really quite a moving experience and I won't forget it. And the word Nakba is sort of imprinted in my brain now. Our aim wasn't really to try to address the political issue. Our aim was really to look at how the politics happening in the Middle East is feeding into the prejudice here. We understand that it's having a huge impact, but what is it actually doing to young people here in Sydney at that dinner table with their families? It's infecting them, even though it's happening over there. Yvonne's quite right. We will never fix the politics. And we tried very hard not to make this a political play. But we cannot escape what we've come from, our backgrounds. And so where we talk about dinner table prejudice, of course, since you're little, along with your bread and your wine or whatever, you get fit this subtle signals, uh, you know, stuff that your grandparents might say or people in the community might say. We were very lucky that we know somebody who was kind enough to introduce us to Bakehouse Theatre. They're a production company, an Australian one, that chooses to do works with communities and also take scripts that are slightly different from mainstream theatre. Before we actually found Bakehouse, we went through a process of applying for grants. And the final sign-off is by, in our case, it was a member of parliament. And ours ticked all the boxes and we made it to the end. But ours did not get the funding because of a legitimate concern that they thought that our play was so controversial that it might incite riots. Incite riots? Yes, incite riots. I mean, I mean, uh, like I've, I've seen the play. It is a confronting play. I, I'm, I'm Jewish. I like there are things that I learned in Sunday school that you know knock up against things. But inciting a riot was not something I, I was originally feeling about this play. 
Yes, well, that's what we thought, but they felt because, don't forget the Cronulla riots, and there have been other situations as well, uh, not necessarily related to Muslims, where it has caused uh, individuals to go out and demonstrate and, you know, struggle with the police or whatever. That's what the major concern was behind that, that it would actually disturb the peace. And in fact, I think we would be very happy if it disturbed the peace of the individual to think about what they were being prejudiced about. We continued on. We kept on looking for funding. That was my job, I guess, trying to find an appropriate venue. And we were delighted that Baker's production actually not only directed but produced the play. We had a number of years of negotiation and we had workshop reading some years ago and then there was feedback from that and more rewriting. Every time we've had something, Abe's Babe's been back to the table writing. What was it like hearing people read the play for the first time? A lot of people who saw it, including Abe, who was the dispossessed family, he had tears in his eyes and he went and talked to the mother in the play and embraced her at the end and said how much it reminded him of his own mother and he was very moved. And the Jewish fellow who had made the most disturbing comments about all Muslims, he came to the play because I had told him that he had triggered the whole event. The guy who at the dinner table yes, had told you? had told me things. He came to the play and I have to say he came to me afterwards and he said, well... Okay, I have to say, I'm glad I started something good, after all. (laughs) But he did acknowledge that he was moved by the play. And that was very important to me, because he is a friend. So even though he'd come with lots of apprehension about coming, there were a lot of people who came and Bakehouse told us, because they were sitting in the front with the ticketing, and they said a lot of people walked in very concerned-looking and unhappy but seemed to walk out a lot more relaxed and, well, I wouldn't say joyous, but certainly they didn't feel as if their side had been in some way overlooked. One of the things that we were adamant about and we were happy to have gone for many years trying to do is even if one person walked away from the process thinking about the prejudice that we might have, or how we deal with another community or talk about another community, I think our play, we feel that would be a success. Do you feel like you had that success? Yeah. And one of the things was that just so many people were talking about it and are still talking about it, like we're talking about this right now. It's good because it is a healthy conversation and we do need to talk about these issues which we tend to gloss over or ignore, you know, or roll the eyes and walk away. And it's not just older people or middle-aged people. It affects all the generations. So if somebody finds themselves at, well, I guess at a, at a dinner table, people are saying things like all Jews or all Muslims or all another group, and they're sitting there wondering what to do, what, what do you think they should do apart from go and write a play, obviously, is, is a good way to go about it, but if they don't have the time to write a play... I quite understand. It's very difficult at times to stand up against the forces, particularly when you feel that you are trusted, you might be amongst your friends or your family, and you don't totally agree with what they're saying. I think you should say it. Be brave and say it, because unless you do, 
the whole thing will keep on perpetuating, you know. There are people who actually believe in what they say. And I think if you don't agree with what is being said, and it does take a great deal of courage, I think you should go ahead and say, look, I don't think that you agree or you don't think it's right that everybody should be branded. But I think you should be brave enough to say, look, I don't think you can tarnish everybody with the same brush. And the reason I'm saying that is the exact situation at the moment with Muslims, you know, young kids and everyone. It might be anyone for that matter. If somebody does something bad, that doesn't mean that millions of other people are the same or think the same or do the same. So I'd say go ahead, do it, say it. Unless you make a stand, it's always going to be the same. My father used to always say that even if you're the one person who stands up and the thousands are sitting down, stand up and say it because that is the right thing to do. I like your dad. No. Yvonne, thank you both for coming in today. Thank you. We'll put up a link to the Laden table on our show page and in the podcast notes. Noor and Yvonne and the rest of Abe's Babes are hoping to have the chance to restage the play and the information on that will be there. We'll also put up a link to a little video excerpt of the play at the Bakehouse Theatre website. If you like this episode and you want to hear more, we've got lots more. Go to fbiradio.com slash notwhatyouthink to hear all of this season's episodes and three seasons worth of archived episodes. If you like this show, you'll probably like a whole bunch of other great FBI podcasts. Choose some at fbiradio.com slash podcasts. Not What You Think is produced by Lachlan Wiley. Show art is by Annie Hamilton. Linda DeLacy is our production consultant. The show was created by Laura Briley, Claire Holland, and me. I'm Zasha Rosen. That was the last episode in this season of Not What You Think. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might like my other show, or it didn't happen, which rounds up some of the live fiction nights around Sydney in 2017. Look for it at fbiradio.com slash or it didn't happen. Thanks for listening.